Welcome to the Afterbirth Podcast. I'm Jazz. And I'm Liv, and we're your hosts. The Afterbirth Podcast was created to be a space for you to share your postpartum story in your own words and listen to others share their experiences. In this show, we'll be talking bleeding, feeding, late night Google reading, and so much more. Each episode, we'll delve into all of the weird and wonderful parts of the postpartum experience with real parents and experts. We hope these stories help you to feel empowered, educated and prepared on your own postpartum journey or just help you to feel more connected to others whose stories might resonate with your own. Now let's get into today's show. Before we get into the episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of the lands on which this podcast was recorded, the lands of the people of the Yugambeh language region and Darawal country. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for episode two of season two. Welcome back, Jazz. How are you going? Good. Hi everyone. Thanks for tuning in again. I'm very excited about this episode. It's a bit of a heavy one, but it was a really beautiful one to record. Yeah, sorry. We do have Chatty Charlie with us again today. Um, Yes, this episode is really really lovely a lot of it is quite medical so we are planning on popping some notes in on uh whatever listening platform you use just to help if you have any questions but if after listening anybody does have any questions about this one and wants to know a little bit more feel free to dm us because i think that kaylin also wrote some notes of her own And I'm sure she would be more than happy to clarify anything that people don't understand. But yeah, this, this episode is, it's deep. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll notice because we do talk about quite a lot of medical stuff. I am pretty quiet in the beginning, (laughs) lives the medical mind here. And I'm more the, um, I think the emotional support. You did very well in your role of emotional support. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no. So just concurring what um Liv said, if you have any questions about what we spoke about, our inbox is always open. Yeah, absolutely. How has your week been, Jazz? Yeah, good, busy. We've had the um the long weekend, which was it was okay. Um, I've been telling Liv it was a bit stressful because Aura was going through a bit of a, a clingy phase um, and wouldn't let me leave her sight. So that's always fun. What about you? How was your How was your weekend? Yeah, it was fine. We didn't have the long weekend up ah. here. Um, just all just recovered from, I don't know if it was just a really bad cold or COVID or the flu or what, but we were absolutely down and out. So feeling a lot better today thank goodness but yeah our weekend was just very very quiet actually just wanted to touch on something so just with my journey of what we were speaking about in our last episode of last season I have my second appointment with Amanda this afternoon and so I've been taking I call them the devil herbs <laughs> because they taste like the devil's bong water um <laughs> but I feel really good it's so the herbs that Amanda made up for me are it was like a stress adaptation mix and I am feeling really good so I finished the bottle Mm. and yeah we've got our second appointment this afternoon so I'll keep you guys all updated but as far as I'm concerned Mm. Amanda is worth her weight in gold so yeah amazing you actually like considering you've been sick all week you look you look good thanks yeah Maybe it's the mum hair. Yeah, it's the mum, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's amazing to hear. We'll definitely um, check in with you over the coming weeks on how that journey is going for you. Yeah, cool. Um, Okay, so yes, this episode today is with Kaylin and Kaylin's second postpartum is where most of this story, most of this episode sort of focuses on because it was really intense from a medical perspective and yeah I think we should just get into it and let Kaylin tell her story in her own words what do you reckon Jazz? Yeah definitely and just a little content warning um we'll put it in the show notes and everything but if it's not an episode that you're ready to listen to that's totally fine you can always come back 
later on. But in the meantime, let's get into it. Hi, Kaylin. Welcome to the Afterbirth Podcast. How are you going? Hi, good, thanks. Would you like to start by telling us just a little bit about yourself and your family? Yeah. So I'm Kaylin. I am from Brisbane. I have a husband, Jacob, and two babies, Romy, who is two and a half, and Rocco, who is eight and a half months. So beautiful. And we've got Rocco joining us today on, <laughs> on the screen. Um, so Kaylin, let's just jump into it because you had a pretty interesting yeah. start yeah. to motherhood, which is yeah. why you're joining us today. And yeah. yeah, we'd love to just hear your story in your words. So start us from wherever you feel you would like to start us from. Yeah, no worries. So I guess um, my birth and both my births were really good. I can't complain. I had two very quick two and a half hour labours and two water births um, and I was discharged, both of them, within six hours after birth. Um, but the second one, uh, Rocco, I uh, went home from hospital at six hours um, post-birth and I had had some pains, which I thought were afterbirth pains at the time, um, post-birth and during that six-hour period. I also had a very low-grade um, temperature both post-birth, but they uh, had said at the time that they thought that might have been because of how quick it was or because of my milk coming in, so they weren't too concerned. Um, then I went home. I was still in quite a lot of pain that day. Um, and that pain just got worse. I couldn't really stand up. I was hunched over. Um, I had known that the second time the afterbirth pains can be quite um, considerably worse. Um, so I just put it down to that. That evening I was in agony. I was bent over in the shower. I thought maybe I was constipated. So I had sent my husband down to get some suppositories, which it wasn't that. Um, I had the midwife out the next day. Uh, she had like done her checks. There was no, um, she was happy that my, with my blood loss, it wasn't too, like she'd smelt it. It didn't smell like there was an infection. Um, I had a retained placenta with Romy. So I was really concerned that potentially I might've had um, some more retained placenta, but she had checked um, my placenta at the hospital to double check that it was all intact and she was confident it wasn't that. Um, at this point, I still did have a very low grade temperature. So this is one day post birth. Um, and I was still in a lot of pain walking around like to the point where I was feeding him during the night, Jacob would have to get up and sit me up um, because I couldn't sit myself up. So she, the midwife at the time thought potentially I had strained um, my abdomen because it was so hard and fast. Um, day two I was pretty much the same I just I wasn't hungry I just wasn't really myself I was just um kind of getting through um she had came out again my temperature still was elevated but nothing too high it was pretty low grade um by the third day I was having fevers and chills um, that evening, my daughter had come home sick from daycare. So I was laying in bed with her and I was just really struggling to breathe. Um, like in my, it felt like my lung was collapsed in my back. Um, so once she had gone to bed, I said to my husband that I need to go to hospital. Um, so we presented to the closest hospital to us, which wasn't the hospital that I gave birth in. Um, and they had, um, uh, that I couldn't really stand. So Jacob had left me in the waiting area with Rocco in a carrier. And I was just sitting in um, like a chair, letting people know that I was in line. Um, and then when I did get uh, assessed, they triaged me as a category one, but told me to um, hop back in the car and drive to another hospital because they don't deal with postpartum. Um, so Jacob had to get the car. We had to get back in the car and we had to drive 20 minutes to the next hospital. By that point, I couldn't really stand at all. I couldn't really breathe at all. I was really dizzy and lightheaded. Um, so he had a wheelchair to the next emergency, which is the hospital I gave birth at. Um, they 
pretty much took me straight through from then and I was hooked up to IV fluids within minutes, getting blood samples. Um, they took me in for an old uh, cat, cat scan first and could see that there was some fluid on my abdomen. That was followed by an ultrasound and they had thought potentially I had um, bleeding, internal bleeding. They couldn't see where the bleeding was coming from. So they thought potentially it was just blood circulating in my stomach. Um, so within an hour of getting to the hospital, they'd said that I needed to go into surgery. Um, this was like nine, 10 o'clock at night by this point. Um, so they called in the gynecologist gynecological surgical team um one funny thing when I was in ED and I can probably laugh about this now is I had to get a catheter put in but the ED nurse had never seen a postpartum vagina before so she couldn't find the hole apparently so I had three or four nurses with torches oh trying to goodness. put a catheter in in the hallway of ED a newborn baby I was more so worried about the fact that I was breastfeeding well establishing breastfeeding so I didn't want um Rocco to have formula so I had told my husband that he needed to get breast milk from somewhere so he's trying to get breast milk which he ended up having formula anyway which isn't a big deal in the scheme of things but um yeah they took me through to theater about midnight um and I had had just under a liter of um, pus on all four quadrants of my abdomen. When I had presented at hospital, I was already in septic shock. So my liver was already at 40% um, capacity. My BP was, I think it's 60 over 30, right? My, yeah, I think that was the ratio. Um, so they, um, I was already um, in septic shock and I had these severe respiratory symptoms with my breathing. Um, so the, ab the pus on the abdomen confirmed that it was an infection. When I had um, presented, they had started me, after they took the blood, started me on antibiotics, which covered um, my infection, which was strep A. Um, so that is lucky in the case that I had started so early um, and they were able to start the treatment early. Otherwise, it probably would have ended differently. But after I woke up from um surgery I had really bad um respiratory issues so I was um pretty much taken straight to ICU from there when I was in recovery though one of my um good friends she is a midwife at um the hospital and she had come in and started um expressing milk so that they could get Rocco um some milk while I was laying down in recovery amazing um, yeah, I'm very grateful. But yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt, Kaylin. Are you able to? You touched on the infection that you had, so you had yep. strep A. Yep. At what point were you diagnosed with that? And yep. can you just give our listeners a little bit of an overview of what that is? That is yeah. So they had suspected it was after they had found the um, pus, but they had to send all of the fluid away for cultures so that can take three to four days so um they had started on that um treatment plan there but basically there's a few different types of um strep um there's your normal strep a which is transferred by like sorry um coughing and um sneezing and touch and stuff and that's um more like a sore throat or um, a mild cold, um, whereas there's also the invasive strep A, um, which is what I had. So they call it eye gas, um, and it's a bacterial version that's quite severe. Um, it can include, it can result in sepsis, um, meningitis, and pneumonia. Um, so in my case, I had sepsis um, from it. They did call. There was a few names thrown around when I was in hospital but they kind of titled, titled it as um, pelvic inflammatory disease caused by group A sepsis um, so that's what I was being treated for um, and I guess because I had the sepsis on top of that I had a whole range of different symptoms that would 
story about his screaming that would um, not normally come, I guess, with strep A. It all happened really quickly, which I guess um, for people that know um, about sepsis, it, it quite often does happen like quite quickly. You go from feeling a bit unwell to feeling the absolute sickest you've ever felt in your life is that sort of how you would yeah and I I guess I have a pretty high pain threshold to start with like I'm not someone um who would normally complain about having like a sore stomach so for me having the sore stomach I kind of just tolerated it to start with it was not until the point that I had the breathing difficulties that I thought anything of it um I really just thought it was the post um, birthing pains and um that I'd pulled something so yeah it did happen very quickly and I went downhill very quickly and that's also um with this invasive um strep A is one of the biggest side effects that it hits hard and fast um I remember talking to a few of the head um in the gynecology team at hospital and they hadn't had a case like that in 10 years so it is also very uncommon um to get that sick that quick um but it is most common if you are going to get it in postpartum um mums versus during pregnancy did they explain why that might be is there is it something to do with your immune system in in postpartum because you're so vulnerable like everything's just happened and you've got an open like it transfers via touch normally um so they still like they swapped the room that I had given birth in but by the time I presented it was day four um Mm. like they wouldn't they'd had been thoroughly um cleaned so they didn't have any um anything come up in that those swabs um but it isn't yet transferred by touch so they don't know where I could have got it or when I could have got it um when I was when, in, when I went into ICU, um, they had made the decision to take Rocco um, for testing. Um, so he didn't have any fever and he was presenting well, um, but they were concerned that if I did have it prior to giving birth, then he could have been exposed to it. Um, but my waters didn't break until a minute or two before he was born. So they think if I did, then he would have been largely protected by the fact that he was still in his sack. Okay, so that would have been quite reassuring for you. Um, before we start talking about your experience in those sort of early days when you were in ICU, I would really like to touch on something that you mentioned early, that in your first postpartum you had a retained placenta. Yeah. Did, so Initially, when you got sick after you had Rocco, you sort of thought maybe, or when you had the pains, you you were sort of thinking along the lines of maybe this is this is something similar to that. Yeah. I I didn't get um so normally with a retained placenta you can get very sick, um, but I fortunately didn't get that with Romy. It was probably day three post birth, and I literally just stood up. I still had quite heavy bleeding. That was my main symptom. And I was the same with Rocco. I had a lot of bleeding post-birth, um, but it was day three. I stood up and I just felt something drop into my pants, um, which is when I called the midwife. And yeah, it, she confirmed, confirmed, well, she came out and confirmed it was retained placenta. So I had thought, like it was in the back of my head that I still had the, the heavy bleeding with Rocco. I had the pains. I had a bit of a fever. Maybe it could be that because that would be normally would be the symptoms. Okay. They had reassured that they had checked that it was all 100% intact. So I, like, I was going off the medical advice they were giving me. It it wasn't really at any point when they were coming out and they were here at least once a day, if not twice a day, for those first three days. Did they think it was a concern to go up? So I was kind of just going by their medical advice. Reassured by that. Yeah, of course. Um, Okay. So. If you're happy to take us back to those, the first few days in ICU um, with a, a brand new baby, you're incredibly unwell. What, yeah. Yeah. So my, my biggest concern the whole time was him staying with me and him 
being able to breastfeed um, him. So originally they had said um, no babies in ICU, like he could come during the day for visits, um, but he would have to go either go home um, with my husband at night or um, we live about 40 minutes away from the hospital. So I was like, well, that's 40 minutes twice a day. He's going to have to drive. And um, I, I really didn't want that. So they were then looking at putting him in um, Ronald McDonald house, um, which was across the road, but then he still couldn't come during the night for feeds. Um, so they like it took a bit of fighting, but they ended up getting me a um, NICU nurse um, allocated to our room in ICU. So Rocco stayed with me 24-7, which I was so grateful for. Um, they would either put him on to latch and feed. Um, that's really all I could do. Like they would hold him there and he would feed um, or they would express, hand express me um, if they couldn't get him to latch and then feed him. Um, so I had a midwife come down every three hours. I had a NICU nurse allocated 24-7. Um, and that was the first two to three days um, in ICU. In terms of how stable I was, like, I feel like I could hold a conversation, but all of my family that came to visit visited me said, like, they couldn't really... Um, tell what I was saying I was saying a lot of gibberish my respiratory was my biggest concern and I also had a really um from I'm assuming it's from that uh, the first surgery so the first surgery I had was keyhole where they drained the pus um but my bowel had gone they call it an ileus bowel I think it's um how you pronounce it um so my bowel basically had stopped um working as usual and I just had profusive diarrhea so they were having to turn me over and clean the sheets and the pain from being turned over with the pain in my abdomen was next level so I was yeah pretty much just lying there on in oxygen um yeah being pumped full of drugs for the first um couple of days and feeding him where I could yeah wow and um when we talked to you um before we started recording um previous chats you mentioned that a lot of your organs were shutting down or failing um yeah. but it's pretty incredible that you were still able to produce milk yeah and yeah. I honestly put that down to the fact that I had breastfeed breastfed the first time like it's incredibly it's probably one of the hardest things that you do postpartum is learning how to feed like I struggled the first time with the cracked nipples etc but because I had, I knew what I was doing the second time. It was a lot easier. And that's, and probably the fact that my milk, had, I had fed Romy for 13 or 14 months. Like it wasn't that long ago that I was producing milk. That's the only reason I think my body knew what to do. Um, but yeah, it's crazy how the, and it, I guess it shows what happened in the feminine, like people were still able to feed their babies, even though they were starving. Yeah. Yeah. And you had obviously, um, been really clear about your your desire to breastfeed um yep. with sort of your village prior to any of this happening which um I think that really speaks to the importance of having like clear communication and a good plan during your pregnancy um because then you're prepared for you know and also the people to, sorry to cut you off also the people to advocate you um while you're in hospital like I did a lot, like I was still able to advocate for myself a lot of that time and that I didn't want Rocco to um, be, leave me. But have you have been, had I been naive to the fact that I could advocate and he would have been taken off me and my, our feeding journey would probably be completely different. Um, yeah, I think that was probably a key part to me being able to keep him there and, and my journey. But I, I I couldn't fault the support that the hospital did give once they got through the loopholes. Yeah. And so how how long were you in hospital? Um, I was in hospital a month in total. So um, once they stabilised me enough from ICU, I moved, they put me back on the, um, actually back in the birth suites um, because I needed the one-on-one care with Rocco still at that point. Um, I had a midwife allocated to me who was also um, a nurse 
So I was there for a few nights and then they moved me to the gyno ward um, and I got one of, which I'm very grateful for, I had one of the um, um, larger rooms that they um, hold for people who are like in different circumstances to I am, but um, I was gratefully given one of those rooms where I had someone able to stay with me 24-7 um, either my mum or um, my husband. So that was basically the conditions we were gave were given that someone had to be there 24-7 for me to keep Rocco mm. um, with me because I wasn't able to stand up but I wasn't able to get him out of his bassinet and stuff. And were you able to see your other child? Or uh, I, So I think it was about a week and a half um, post-birth that they brought her up for a visit Um and she was extremely like, yeah, uh, upset by the situation. How that old was, was probably, she at that point? She was nineteen months. Yeah, so that was probably the hardest part of the whole thing was not seeing her. And I really struggled with um, bonding with Rocco because oh. I wasn't able to see her, and I had only been apart from her a day, like one night prior to giving birth. So. <laughs> to be then away from her for a month and her not knowing what was going on. It must have been so hard. Yeah, that that was probably the hardest part. But I they did bring her up another two times over that month. And by the last time it was just a few days before I was able to go home and she was starting to warm back to me a lot more because I had a lot of my tubes taken out. Like I when she was previously up, I had the oxygen masks. I then had nasal gastric tubes. I had a lot. You weren't the mum she remembered. Yeah, no. Yeah. Okay, so you've got a little one at home. You've got a one-month-old. You have just been through this. Yeah, so I guess I can probably um, take you through a bit more of what happened while I was... um, in hospital yeah Um, so I had um one of the um one of the side effects of um going into septic septic shock um was the fluid retention so um basically my albium levels were in I think it was incredibly high like some of this is a bit blurry but I had so much um I hadn't eaten probably for 10 days by the time that they put in a nasal gastric tube but the reason that they had to do that was because my albium levels were so high and the only way to bring my albium levels down was to give me protein. Um, so, and I couldn't eat like a, between the issues with my bowel um, and just not having an appetite. Um, the decision was between the yeah, nasal gastric tube or a pick line, but they thought the pick line would just delay the process in getting the bowel um, working again. So we went with an NG tube, which is not a fun time. Um, but that started to really work. That was 24 seven. I had the supplementation through that. Um, and within a week, um, you, I, we could start seeing the fluid um, moving and my levels evening up. Um, I also had, because of all of the fluid still in my um, my stomach, like probably three weeks while I was there for the three weeks, I was still spiking temperatures every um, six to eight hours. They couldn't really get on top of the infection. Um, And they thought that was because of the amount of fluid on my stomach still. Um, So I had a drain put into my stomach and within a few hours that drained about a litre of fluid. Um, That drain was pretty horrific getting put in. Like you can feel every single muscle being pulled um, and getting put out was worse, but um after that I had to have another two drains put in so I had um pneumonia which um is also a symptom of the strep A um and also probably brought on by the fact that I was bedridden for two weeks at that point um so I had a lung uh, a drain put into my lung and because my liver um was so high from all of the fluid in my stomach they had to the drain in through my back um so I couldn't actually sit back like there was a drain 
poking out. So it was causing my back to have full spasms. Um, and when I went down to get that drain put in, the head of um, surgery came and found me in the recovery area um, and said that they had taken over my case. So I was previously under the gyno um, team, um, but they just couldn't get on top of the infection. So they brought in the head of surgery thinking that I would need to have another surgery. Um, and he said that we were going into surgery um, straight away and I had ju I just broke down down in recovery. I was like I um, had said to him like I need time to prep milk for Rocco. Um, I didn't have any milk stored in the fridge. Um, at that point, I was starting to feel a bit better. So this was um, probably two and a half weeks in. Um, I was starting to feel a bit better in myself, and I was I like had daily physio, and I was able to like move from my bed to a chair. I was able to move a little bit. Um, so I'd asked for just a few days to, um, see how I went, get milk prep for Rocco. Um, and he agreed to that on the terms that I got another drain in my stomach as well. So I went down for one drain in my back, came back with two drains and that was a pretty horrific for the next couple of days, the pain from the two drains. Um, and being, like, I couldn't really feed Rocco. I was just pumping because he would sit on one of the drains when I fed him. Um, and it did drain a little bit of fluid, but not as much as they were seeing on the CT scans or the um, ultrasounds. So they had realised that probably the um, infection had loculated in my stomach. So basically it formed um, little pockets of fluid. So the options would be to try several drains in my stomach um to drain all the fluid or to go in for another surgery so they made the call um to go in for another surgery so this was week three um that I had been in there and this was on a I think they prepped me on a Sunday and they couldn't end up they had emergency surgery and couldn't get me in so I stayed prepped till the Monday but I still was nil by mouth by this stage but because of all the fluid um retention they wouldn't let me eat or drink past um, my IV fluids and what was going through the nasal gastric tube um, because I'd go over those um, restriction levels. Um, and even with all of my antibiotics, it would still go over um, without me eating and drinking. So they had me on strict nil by mouth. So it was fine. Like I had the surgery on the Monday um, and I went in, they were going to try keyhole again. Um, but because I had so much scar tissue from the infection, um, they had to give me a laparotomy. So I have an incision from my pelvic bone just above my belly button. Um, they actually sewed through my belly button and I no longer have one. Um, just pretty weird. But anyway, um, so in that surgery, they were able to drain the rest of the fluid. Um, they said it was pretty messy in there but from that point on I seemed to get on top of the infection my fevers reduced um I, I went a few days without the fevers um which was a good sign and yeah then I just had to basically recover from major abdominal surgery so I spent another week um in hospital after that um they had the physio getting me walking again I had um, pretty strong drugs throughout that time. So I was just pumping and dumping and whatever I had pumped um, in prep for that, they would feeding Rocco and topping him up with formula. Um, and yeah, I really turned a corner after that surgery. Um, so it obviously was what I needed. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yes. So I think, um, yeah, it was literally on week four, the end of week four that I went home from hospital. So a month, Rocco was a month old. Wow. Um, the recovery at home was pretty long. <laughs> I couldn't, still couldn't really walk or lift um, for a good eight weeks. Um, and then all of a sudden the pain, I woke up one day and the pain just went. So I don't know um, what it was that turned that corner, but um yeah I could then stand up and walk straight and then it was just a matter of building up my strength 
all your muscles again yeah Yeah. I had lost 20 kilos in that last week I had lost 20 kilos of fluid so they would put me on the scales daily and it was two to three kilos every day um so I was pretty much down to skin and bones I've never had small calves in my life and you could literally put your finger around them I was so tiny from um obviously not eating and being bedridden how did you find um going back to eating again and establishing a healthy diet and moving your body again you know as well as breastfeeding and caring for your babies and everything like getting yourself back to a healthy um stance within yourself how did you find that yeah the food was definitely my biggest struggle because um you just I just didn't have an appetite at all but once my appetite came back like I've always been a big eater um so I was able like I was just able to increase that gradually and I focused on um mostly the things that were going to benefit my breastfeeding um in terms of high fats etc um but in terms of exercise I also walked I walk every day five kilometers with my dog um so that was I was really worried that I'd never be able to walk again from even being out of hospital just the pain that I was getting that would wrap around my back and my stomach I um definitely was concerned but yeah I've managed to um build that strength back up and I don't have any issues at the moment so that's good the only um pain I do I have experienced since hospital um is um when I got my period back I did feel like I had the same stomach pain but it only lasted a day or two um, and then it went. So I don't know if it's from the scar tissue or um, if any there's any adhesions there. And they said they couldn't really guarantee what would happen in the future. It will just be a play by ear thing, whether I need to go in for any um, further, like to remove any scar tissue, et cetera. Right. And are you at um, risk of getting it again and ending up in that same? Yeah. So I've asked this and they said it is just bad luck. And it doesn't actually put me at any higher risk of getting it again. Um, but, um, yeah, well, I didn't actually, I don't think I actually mentioned this to you, but when Rocco was um, four months old, so we'd been out of hospital um, about eight weeks, um, he got really sick and um, ended up with bacterial meningitis, which is also a side effect of the um strep a um so I had like concerns at the time that maybe he did have it underlying all this time and that's what caused it but like turns out it was just two lots of bad luck um but sorry for the all the noise um but this is yeah this is um just something that you can just get and recover from like I could get it again but it's unlikely to be related yeah right um, you mentioned that you struggled with bonding which is completely understandable um with all of that going on and being separated from your daughter as well how did you sort of work on that and where are you at now yeah I found it a lot easier once I got home um to bond with him and accept um but like that I loved them both um it it was just so hard um in hospital to find when especially when I was just feeding him and passing him off like I didn't have time I really enjoyed the newborn phase with Romy and I just feel like I was robbed of that like I got none of it other than the feeding have you like when you were in hospital I mean I guess you were so sick like physically that there probably wasn't maybe enough time or like you probably didn't have the presence of mind to get that sort of like psychological support when you're in hospital, but have you managed to, to get any? um... Yeah. So they did send through, send around, um, uh, what are they? A social worker? Social workers. Sorry. Yes. I really struggled to find any form of, um, bond with them I I didn't really I'm not a person to dwell on things like personality wise I kind of 
and one that will just get through a situation and I'll mentally process it myself. I, I haven't needed to reach out to anyone um, at this point, but yeah, I don't feel like I've, it doesn't mean that I won't have to in the future, like something might be trigger, uh, triggering for me, but I've managed to cope and I did have the support around me. Like, I don't know how my mum had had uh, 12 weeks off work, um, which was really, I was, we were really grateful for because my husband, um, he doesn't get um, leave. So he could only have um, about four weeks off um, and just the coping with getting Romy to daycare, someone being at home at night, like it was pretty hard to juggle. So I don't know how people would do it without the support. And I'd probably be in a different headspace if we didn't have um, that support and I was all by myself in hospital, but I was never really alone. So I kind of, I feel like that helped me process what was going on. Um, I also, I had incredible um the head of gyno and also my original midwife who wasn't there for my birth. Um, but she had been through Romy's birth with me and all, all the way through my pregnancy. She had come and visited me every day in hospital. She would do my baths and change my bed um, when the other nurses were just run off their feet. Um, and she also come out to our house post um, when we were let home and would check in most days. So I had the support there of them to talk through what had gone on. Um, so we did have, we were able to process and question and stuff throughout the process. And they brought me back up for a fair few reviews um, once I was discharged. So I do feel like I had that opportunity to get some clarity, but we will never like, we never will really know what happened to make me so sick. And that's probably the biggest um, dwelling point. Definitely. Yeah, of course. Mm. Um, so you're feeding Rocco right now. How's feeding going now? Yeah, feeding a um eight months old is yeah, they're full on. He is yeah. a completely different child to my um daughter. He is almost walking, he's into everything. Um, he's next level. He doesn't sleep, he doesn't eat other than feed. Um um so it's second yeah. children hey mine's I think so. they've just got a mind of their own a mind yeah. of their own yeah, yeah. so <laughs> determined yeah. yeah yeah and he's making up for it he was such a good newborn in hospital but yeah that just went out touching on that. your um your other postpartum experience how how yeah. was your first you know after hearing about Rocco's which was such a hard um like I can't even it's unfathomable to be what it would have been like but in terms of your first postpartum experience how did you find it as a new mum yeah I really fixated on the little things the first time like this making sure the sleep windows were exactly to the point like feeding on timer like I really fixated on all the little things whereas um which I think um yeah it like I I enjoyed I really enjoyed the newborn and baby bub bubble, but it was also very consuming mentally mm. um, with Romy. And I think this time it's since being out of hospital, it's been the complete opposite. And with two, it makes it so very challenging to be so re like um, regimented um, because you are balancing a baby and a toddler at the same time. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Routine kind of goes out the window. And it that does. whole, um, like, eat, play, sleep thing, like, <laughs> I tried to stick to it and then I was like, this doesn't work. So I can only imagine with two, like, just, yeah. yeah, you're putting one to sleep and the other one's literally, like, throwing stuff into the cot. Or... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a whole different ball game, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, did you plan much for your postpartum <laughs> with Rocco like obviously even if you did it all probably like it all went out the window um because you got sick but did you do much planning or communicating um like not a lot other than like I had prepped physically for like have food in the fridge one of the things I struggled with post um part of with Romy was just the capacity to make dinner the capacity to clean the house and do things um because I was con she was a very big um contact napper 
for the first probably three months of her life and I would just get nothing done. And my husband used to come home from work and I'd be in tears because I hadn't even eaten lunch. So he'd make me a lunchbox the night before. But that was one thing that I I had prepped for with Rocco was ensuring we had enough snacks and food. Um, and I had my family, instead of buying us gifts for a baby sprinkle, they had, were going to organize some meals, um, like you foods or something to be, um, delivered. Like that was most of my prep, but I had just like second time around, you kind of know what you're doing. So I didn't really, um, put too much on what we were going to be doing on a daily basis other than survival. Yeah. It's just all that practical stuff. Hey, meals. and Yeah. And it's so hard to plan for the what ifs as well. Like I think yeah. I was thinking about this the other day and we don't really plan for the what ifs. Like we plan for no. postpartum experience or if, like if we do, but all the what ifs like NICU and special care and what you went through and yes. all the things like we just don't, we don't plan for the what if. So no. and it's not just a mental burden, like it's a financial, like parking yes. every day at hospital, $46 a day like that's insane it's it is insane and we ended up um having to increase so I Romy used to be in full-time daycare when I was working full-time but um I had planned to reduce her back to three days when um just after Rocco was born I gave myself about three (laughs) weeks leave period there but we had to increase it back up to five with Mm. Jacob working full-time and me being in hospital um do you guys get um the rebate for childcare in in Queensland yeah, we do. Um, we get a, I think it's a 50% subsidy, but it still works out at a couple of hundred dollars a week. Yeah, it's still um, not much, is it? And when you're not working, like I was on half pay mat leave, and I'm very grateful to have good mat leave. But um, yeah, it's just the finance stress that you don't need as well. Mm. And are you still on maternity leave at the moment? Yes, I am. I'm on maternity leave until um, he is around one, so a couple yeah, more okay. months. Um, my work actually, um, so I work for the government, so they had actually um, reimbursed some of my mat leave for sick leave when I was in hospital. So I, I was, was going to ask about that. Yeah. 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 So um, my mom also works for the government. So we were able to, she had enough sick leave to leverage for carer's leave. Um, and yeah, they reimbursed the time that I was in hospital for sick leave just to give me that extra, um, mat leave at the end, given everything that had gone yeah. on. And I, I saw you also make cakes on the side. <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, it, it's meant to be a side hobby but it seems to be a full-time job in itself (laughs) they're amazing I had a look at them today they're beautiful just in case you didn't have enough going on yeah I know I know yeah it's crazy (laughs) one thing I wanted to touch on that you said way back at the beginning and it was the first hospital that you showed up at said we don't deal with postpartum and then at the second hospital when they were doing the catheter it was hard for them because they hadn't really dealt with a postpartum vagina before. Yeah. I wanted to like, I find that so interesting, like, and interesting is not even the right word, but when you said that, my brain kind of went, really? Like- and so the, the thing that gets me like, yes, I got there fine in the end and I can't dwell on the fact that like I didn't, they didn't take me in at the first hospital. But what gets me is if someone presents as a cat one, why wouldn't you get an ambulance? And I know that's probably they didn't have the facility for that, but it would have got me there quicker without the pain of having to get back into the front seat of my car with a newborn. Yeah. Um, the other and- thing is um, like hospitals and everywhere should have this now, have really strict protocols for sepsis and anywhere any hospital should be able to deal with uh, any emergency department should be able to deal with a case of sepsis or at least or looking starting like the sepsis, treatment start the treatment and then get you transferred right. to a hospital it's um yeah. it's quite shocking actually that um that that happened and and so recently when um there's been really big um I want to say promotions but I, I I've got just really bad baby brain but um 
it's been talked about a lot in hospitals and and in the public recently like there's been big campaigns um about yep. sepsis and how important it is to recognize the signs early and to get onto the treatment early so uh, i mean obviously just so so thankful that you uh, are still here to tell your story yeah. um but i think you could be a really big advocate for um for prompt sepsis treatment and um, yeah, that was one of the things they had said um, as well in emergency. Had I had not gotten there that night, then I probably wouldn't have woken up in that morning just because of the rate of my respiratory. But I didn't know, like, I didn't know what was wrong with me. And yeah, there's no way you could have. And from the medical advice that I had been given in the three days prior, which I don't hold any um, blame, but there has since been um, training introduced to that hospital to say any time a postpartum mum has a temperature they need to be um checked out because it's not it's not normal um and also the signs for I guess if group a um strep and the invasive strep is more common in postpartum than any other person um what the signs are for to um get them help quickly because I I had group b which I know is more common, but even then I didn't even know what it was when my midwife told me I had it. And when you told me you had um, strep A, I didn't even know there was an A, which is. Yeah. Group B, the one you get swabbed for isn't, or you can voluntarily get, yeah. Voluntarily get swabbed for. Yeah. Um, So they don't, they didn't swab me for that in either of my births. So I don't know if that's something that I had to ask for or if it would have showed up, but I don't don't think. I think some hospitals routinely, or maybe it's just up to the um, the individual practitioner, but some hospitals don't routinely um, swab for it. And I think that is also because, and I could be wrong, so any midwives listening, um, I think it can be transient throughout your pregnancy. So I think one day you might test positive and then the next yeah. you might test negative. So, um, And it's yeah. more the, um, the symptoms for whether your baby presents with an illness afterwards that they treat. I'm I suspect, yeah, GBS yeah. first, yeah. Oh, wow. Kaylin, your story is pretty epic. It's a real testament to, I think, the strength of, well, you um, and also the support that you had around you Um and yeah, I feel very privileged to to have had you share it with us, especially, yeah, such a traumatic time of your life and you tell the story so beautifully. And I, I really do. I think that you will be such a great advocate for um, recognising those signs of something being wrong. Um, and yeah we're really we're really grateful to you for coming on here and for um volunteering to share your story so thank you so much thank you thank you for your time well that's another episode done for today we hope you enjoyed this one as much as we did if you are a postpartum professional or you'd like to come and share your story with us, please reach out via our socials or email, which you can find in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you. We will be releasing a new episode every Wednesday.